and you're coming to the evangelism class. We'll be starting in just a second. Um, yeah, pretty much right now. But I don't know. I love those days when you wake up and you just have a wonderful time with the Lord that it's like you can't wait to get to church. You know, and I thank the Lord that today is one of those days that I get to be here and I get to be with you all. I was seriously looking forward to coming and not, not actually, um, not as much with the teaching, but just to hear from my brothers and sisters on how they're doing and, and just to pray and to fellowship. So praise the Lord for, for the, the fact that the Lord created the Sabbath day for us and for us to be edified and blessed. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, how thankful and grateful I am this morning. I, I just thank you for everyone that is here. Lord, I thank you that, that you are the great and awesome God. That you are a father that loves us that even though we were yet wicked sinners, you sent your son to die for us. You, God, sacrificed yourself to ransom us. And Lord, I, I, I just praise you for your perfect works and all that you accomplished. Thank you, Lord, that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father and that you are praying and just interceding for us your bride and lord thank you so much for the holy spirit that is our great helper the one that just gives us the strength that we need to love and to grow and to reach out lord i pray that today that we will focus on the two great commands to love you with all of our heart soul mind and strength but also to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Help us to reach out to our friends here at church. Help us to carry each other's burdens, not only with those difficulties that we're going through, but also with our sin. Help us to be constant in prayer. And Lord, please, I pray that this message is one that will be an encouragement, that it will be loving and that it will just enable us as a church to bring the gospel message to those around us. We just pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. All right. So this message, I've been looking forward to doing this, um, but it, I also know that it's sort of off the standard, I mean, the, the lessons that have been done uh, in the past when we've taught evangelism. But I feel like the Lord has just revealed certain things through the parables that are an encouragement, um, but also could be a potential warning. And so I wanted to come today, and I, it's funny that David is like going, yeah, you're the parable guy, and I... I find myself always coming back to the parables. I've, I've gone through the parables now, I think, two or three times with the middle schoolers and the youth and, 
And so it's just, I always find new things in the parables that are such a blessing. That, like I was saying, just this random piece of gold that's right there that I've read probably 50 times, but then all of a sudden it just comes alive. And you see the brightness and the glow from the gold, and you're like, Lord, thank you. And so that's sort of what has happened this past year as I've been going through these parables, seeing these little things that are an encouragement regarding evangelism. So we're going to look at five different parables today, and we're going to look at the implications for them. Um, And what I would really like you guys to do, if you would, is give me some feedback So if I could just ask you to email me um, this week. Um, So put down my email. It is Doug70 underscore seven at hotmail.com. And I just want you to tell me, was this helpful? Did what what I was speaking about, did it make sense? Um, because I always want to strive for to do better and to teach better. And so the only way that that's going to actually happen um, is if you guys um, will let me know. So Doug70 underscore seven at hotmail.com. All right. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So, of course... Last week, we mentioned the very first parable, and it is a parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is probably the most direct parable that there is regarding evangelism. It is really clear that the purpose of that is to show how God has established evangelism. Number one, well here, let's read the parable. Then he, meaning Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. So, what are the implications with this? Number one, that there are sowers. And when it comes down to it, the sowers are believers in Jesus Christ. We are the ones that are sowing. What is it that we scatter? What is it that we cast out, broadcast? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? We went over that, what was it, two weeks ago, and went through what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and encouraged you all to be faithful in understanding, memorizing, getting used to saying, practicing. Practice. It was funny because years ago, Um, I used to, when the kids were probably in, right before middle school, we used to get a little stand 
and put it in the middle of the, um, the living room. And we'd have the kids stand up on the stand and actually share the gospel to the rest of the family. I wanted them to learn how to practice and to say this over and over and over and over and over again. Because that's the only way that it's going to come out of you is if you've practiced it enough. And so, um, so you have the sower who sows the seed. But then you have the soils. The soils are talking about the heart of those who hear the gospel. All right? For some, the seed falls on hardened path. Those are the individuals that, rec- that resist the gospel. There are others that they hear the gospel and they receive it, but because of the cares of this world, because of the, the um, persecutions and those individuals that come against them because of the gospel, it doesn't have much root and it dies away. Then you have those who have the, actually uh, receive the gospel, but because there are weeds there, and that is the cares of this world, all of a sudden, I should say all of a sudden, correct me, raise your hand if you hear me say all of a sudden, I want you guys help me with that. So if they end up, they focus in on heaven, and that's what our focus should be when we are believers, is focused in on heaven and doing the things for our king who is in heaven, being ambassadors in this land for Christ and heaven, but then the attention gets diverted and comes back to the world. And for those individuals, there's weeds that end up choking out the importance of the gospel. But the gospel, when it hits the good soil, then it will produce 100, 60, 30-fold. And basically what that is talking about is that as we are sharing the gospel, when we share it, there is a very good chance that we may be giving the gospel to the next, oh, you know, um, Charles Spurgeon, to the next, you know, John MacArthur, to the next... No, no. Um, And and the whole idea is that that giving the gospel to that individual multiplies the kingdom. All for the glory of God. So that is the very first parable. The next one that I want to come to is the parable of the talents. All right? Now this one is found in Matthew 25, and it's verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man. Now, when we're saying it will be like a man, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 25, you have three different parables. The parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the parable of the last judgment, or the sheep and the goat. All right, And each of these are giving us a view of the kingdom of God. In this one, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once 
and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting what you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, what is the implication with this? Well, a couple things. First off, one of the things that we see is that, okay? At the very beginning of this, when it says that he went the... the uh, master was going to provide them with the money. He provided them the money, it says, according to their ability. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize is that each of us has a certain ability. Each of us has abilities that have come from God. Some individuals are great at sharing the gospel. I remember there was an uh, individual from when I was attending Shadow Hills Baptist Church. Uh, and there was one particular brother that everywhere I met, I saw him. He was always talking to people about the gospel. He was at UMC Hospital one time when I was working there, and I went up to visit him. And when I went in and talked with him, the nurses recognized that we obviously were friends, and they all of a sudden got, they got me in the break room and said, he won't stop talking about Jesus Christ. What is wrong with him? I said, he, is, he loves the Lord, his, you know, Jesus Christ, and so he is just doing what naturally comes to him. Some individuals are like that, all right? Some struggle more. God has either given you five two or one, 
That's, but you can always pray that the Lord will equip you, enable you to take what you have. All right? Now, when we see the one bag of gold, what we could go ahead and say to ourselves, it doesn't say this implicitly within the text here, but it, it may imply the one thing that every believer, every true believer has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have the gospel. That thing which transformed us from being dead in our sins to now being alive in a new creation, we all have that. That should be the thing that motivates us to get it out there. All right? Now, I, I sent to the pastors this week the, my plan for today's lesson, and I got some feedback from, from them. And one of the things that they cautioned me is what I'm going to say next, all right? And here's what I'm going to say, is that if you, as a professing believer, never, ever share the gospel, if you are similar to that one individual who took the bag and hid it away, and I, I say this because through the, the uh, d- decade and a half of sharing the gospel, one thing that I've heard from so many individuals is this. I don't share the gospel because I'm scared I may get it wrong. All right? If you have that attitude, how is that any different from the man with one bag of gold? How is it different? The only way to get past your fear is to get out and do it. But here's the thing. Let me, let me state it again. What do we see in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3? What was the Apostle Paul saying to the church in Corinth? He said, I came to you in fear and much trembling. We are always going to have fear. That never goes away. We have to work through the fear. The Lord purposely, time and time and time again, has us place our faith out there in front of us, knowing that He is going to catch us, that the Holy Spirit is going to enable us, that He is going to remove that. The Holy Spirit will remove that fear, suck it out, and then fill you with joy. How many of you, in the midst of sharing the gospel, you have felt that difference where you go from fear to all of a sudden joy? And you are, you know the old Red Bull commercial where the guy gets wings? (laughs) That's what I feel like sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm heading, you know, heading down to Fremont Street, and I'm, I just, oh, I can think of a hundred reasons why I shouldn't be here. I could think, my family, they really need me. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, what is really needed is for someone that night to hear the gospel. Or at least, if no one hears it that will come to faith, then at least my praise to God as I share it my worship of Him for the time that I'm out there. 
That's what is needed. Sharing your savings is like building a muscle. Mm-hmm. And you do it once, it's so awesome. Your muscles are really strong. Mm-hmm. You do it twice, or soon it starts to go away. Three, four, five times. Next thing you know, you're sharing the faith muscle. It grows with us, and you're ready to Amen. give it any time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let me be clear. I am not saying that if you have fear of sharing the gospel, that may be an indication that you are not a believer. What I'm saying is if you never, if it is never a desire, if there is a fear of doing it wrong that keeps you from sharing the gospel, then go to God. Pray. Ask Him to show that you are a workman who is approved. Ask the Lord to give you that strength to get through the door. All right? Ultimately, what we want to hear, what we should desire to hear, what we should daydream about, is that moment when the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You have had this gospel and you worked through your fear and look at what has been produced from your faithfulness. Praise God. All right. The next one. I may end up finishing early today. We'll see. Um, The Good Samaritan. All right, we know what the Good Samaritan is, right? Let's go through it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. Brother, do you need more copies? Here. Oh, actually, here we go. Sorry. I kept them to myself. That's not quite effective. (laughs) So, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But (laughs) he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going along down the, um, ooh, my eyes, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the, the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. <laughs> and Jesus told him, good. Oh, go and do likewise. So let's go through this a little bit. All right. So the very first part, of course, is we have an individual who is trying to test the Lord. And then we get to this part where he asks, who is my neighbor? All right, because we know that the, the second and greatest command is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? But who is that? Who is our neighbor? And so what would you say? Everybody. Amen. And so we see that this individual, as he's going down, he ends up getting robbed. Now, once he is robbed and he's laying there on the ground, we have two individuals that come by, and when they see him, they pass on the other side. The first is a priest, and the next one is a Levite. And why is it that they are passing by? Why is it that they aren't stopping to check on him? Not, not necessarily because they... That, that may be part of it, but what is... What was one of the things that would happen if you touched a dead body? You'd be unclean. You wouldn't be able to actually go into the temple. You would have to go through the ceremonial washing and preparation before you could actually come back into the temple. Now, the sad part about that was how, in some ways, it was used almost as like a hammer over the head of individuals. They, they didn't want to forego the opportunity to be in the temple because being in the temple was somehow righteous. But really, no. The true righteousness is the love that we have in our heart for God and for our neighbors. And so we see that their interest was more for themselves instead of for the individual. But it was the Samaritan. Now, why does Jesus use the example of a Samaritan? What is so difficult about the Samaritans? They were, they were actually half-breeds. They, they were not fully Jewish. They were not a part of this bloodline. And, and the Jews had this understanding, or they thought, that they were God's chosen people, which they were at the time, that produced our Savior. But that did not mean that they had the right to basically keep every individual who wasn't pure in their bloodline apart from them. They were sp still supposed to show love and kindness 
But instead, they were able to convince themselves that in their hearts, I don't need to. I don't need to love a Samaritan because they're not truly Jewish. It was racism. It was flat-out racism. And so Jesus uses this to say, okay, here's a Samaritan, that half-breed, that individual that is not pure, not holy and set apart by God. But this one, look at all that he does. He puts on oil to help the wound if it's dry, to, to be uh, to add to the, the moisture, puts on the wine as an antibiotic to fight potentially any infection. He does all of these things and then takes them to the end, watches over them, and then pays the innkeeper some additional and says, hey, whatever you need to spend on them, spend on them. I'll come back. I'll cover it. I got you. He showed the utmost love. And so... What is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is saying that we need to have love for individuals. For every individual. You know, one of interesting conversation that I had this week was talking to this wife of a patient. And um, um, I don't think Jen was there and heard this one, but what ended up happening is I was referring her husband to um, a daycare, an adult daycare center, so that she could return to work. And I was telling her that they had closed down a bunch of uh, adult daycare centers during COVID because no one would want to send their loved ones to the daycare center. They just didn't. And so they didn't have the finances to keep open and they closed down. And so the one daycare center that was open and had spots was one that the wife didn't really want to go to. And in the conversation, she ended up saying, you know, are you holding back from telling me about those daycare, daycare centers in the white affluent neighborhoods? And I was like, what? And she goes, you know, I believe in Black Lives Matter. And I want him to be able to go there. He can go there even though he's black. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. Let me just make something clear. I believe that every life matters because we are all image bearers of God. And so if I'm giving you this, this is the exact same thing that I give everyone all the resources, I lay them out because I care about you and your husband. And she was like going, oh, okay. And that was sort of the end of the story. And it just, there are times when we, unfortunately, in the Christian church, we have separated ourselves instead of embracing individuals. If we have a knowledge of the of the fact that God is the one who's responsible for salvation, then why is it that we sometimes will say, oh, those who are HIV positive, those who are, you know, whatever it is, I can't, I can't love them. 
We can't say that. We don't have that opportunity. Let me tell you uh, another story. In uh, 2002, um, I would work at the hospital typically on Christmas Day because you just didn't have very many individuals. And at that particular time, the boys were going to be out of town uh, with their mother. And so what ended up happening was right before Thanksgiving, I was grabbing a piece of pizza at the pizza place near UMC Hospital. And a homeless guy comes up to me and he says, hey, can I get some money? And I was like going, what you need some money for? And he goes, I want to get something to eat. I said, well, why don't you come in? I'll buy you what you want off of the menu, and then we could sit down and talk. And he was like going, oh, cool. And so get him some pizza. We go sit down. We're talking. Found out his name is Jimmy, and he is from Detroit. Actually lived along the Nine Mile, and he's homeless. And he keeps on talking about his partner. His partner is this gentleman from Trinidad, Tobago. And he is, um, he's got the, the full-on Caribbean accent. You could probably do it better for me, <laughs> brother. Um, but he comes up, and we're talking. And I get in my heart this sort of like, you know what? I'm going to ask him something. And I said, hey, what are you guys doing for, for Christmas? Could a friend and I take you guys out for dinner? And they looked at me, and they're like going, are you serious? I'm like going, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the one guy, I can't, I, for the life of me, I've gone back in my journals, and I cannot find where I wrote his name. I can't remember his name. Um, but he looked at me, and he goes, oh, oh, let me see, let me see. I've got nothing on that day in my planner. Oh, okay, I could write you in. And I just laughed. And we, I said, okay, Christmas Day, right here. I'll pick you up, and we'll go out to dinner. Where would you like to go? They're like, oh, we want to go to a buffet. Perfect. So we're going to go to Main Street Station. So my friend Todd Friley and I, we come, we go to that spot after we're finished on Christmas Day with our work, and they're not there. Well, I had seen them around enough because typically homeless guys, especially when they're teaming up, they stay in certain locations. And so I had a pretty good idea where he was or where they could be. And so I drove, sure enough, found him. And they were just startled that we actually came. And they're like going, really, you're taking us to dinner? I was like, yeah. And so... Then all of a sudden, Jimmy goes, well, if I, if I really would have known that, I would have dressed up at least. And I was like, no, you don't need to do that. And so we end up going to Main Street Station. And we're in line. And there's this long line. And there's actually people, guys in tuxes and women in ball gowns. And they're standing in line waiting to go to this. And they cannot stop looking at Jimmy and his buddy. And at one point, I was so frustrated that I turned to him. I said, hey, if their staring is bothering you too much, do you want to go someplace else? And all of a sudden, he, the one guy from Trinidad Tobago goes, no, no, look at that. I care nothing about them. 
I only care about all of that food because that is mine. And so we go in, we eat. They eat for an hour solid. And then we just sat there for another two hours just telling stories. And come to find out is that Jimmy, he's addicted to um, crack cocaine. And unfortunately, because of that, he can't maintain a job. But his real problem is, is that whenever he gets high, he picks fights. And he would pick fights with two, three, sometimes four individuals at a time. And then the, my other friend, he ended up was an alcoholic. He had three kids back in Trinidad, Tobago, had not seen them in a few decades. And so the two of them basically were just protecting each other out there on the streets. And what ended up happening is, as we finished up with dinner, we're heading back, and we had gotten them some presents, some uh, Bible and some different things for them, and they were very appreciative. And so I had my friend from Trinidad Tobago in the passenger seat, and Todd was with Jimmy in the back, and all of a sudden, I said, so, is this a, was this an okay Christmas? And he goes, and he, he would always call me Big Bear. He goes, Big Bear. He says, this was the best Christmas ever. And I said, what? The best Christmas ever? He goes, yes. And I said, I don't believe you. He goes, you listen. You listen. When you are homeless, you're invisible. What happens when you pull up to the light? You see the homeless man holding his sign. You look away. You don't make eye contact. He says, the only other individuals that see you are the other homeless. He says, tonight, I got to be human again. Thank you, Big Bear. Thank you. And I realized in that moment, that's what the Good Samaritan is all about. Taking individuals that don't feel human, that don't see that they are image bearers of God and helping them to see that. And that's part of what we do when we are sharing the gospel is we listen to individuals and their sins and we help them to see that there is a way for God to no longer, to wash those sins away so that they can be pure and righteous. That's, that's what this ministry of reconciliation is all about. All right. So, the next parable. Actually, I believe it's the last parable. Sorry, I thought there was five. There's only four. Um, the final judgment, or the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25. Oh, yes. I think the other thing I was coming from was um, in your notes, you say, like, uh, and I, I definitely think I understand where you're coming from, and I understand what you're saying, and I just thought I'd like bring it up just to like, I say, yeah. He says, strive to be blind to differences and uh, see the wonderful similarities of people. Yes. I, think I understand what you're saying, but I think I might say it might be better to like, you know, appreciate and see. Oh, yes, like, yes. Like, I, like, I, I think people mean, like, I get what they mean when they say, like, on color, 
Like, yeah. you know, I think with flowers, it's like, I think be like, oh, there's just flowers. It's like black and white. It's like flowers, Much, much better way of saying it. Thank you. No, no, no. I totally agree. I love, I love, well, when I, when I meet individuals from other countries, from other nations, I love those differences. I, I, I want to go and experience those things that they find special, you know, and we should, we should, you know, enjoy. And yeah, I'm going to change that because it shouldn't, we shouldn't be blind to that, but we should embrace the differences, but also recognize that the vast majority, you know, I remember years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Brother Jim, who, um, you, you know, Brother Jim, Brother Jim, he actually would stand out in front of the Bellagio with a sign and it was basically, you know, repent or spend eternity in hell. And the Bellagio security kept trying to get him out of there, kept trying to get him out of there. And finally, he went to the ACLU and said, hey, they're violating my civil rights. And it went to court and he won. And I would listen to him open air preach and I would think to myself, Oh my goodness, this guy is so different from me. But then I, he had written a book, a, a, a biography, autobiography, and I remember reading that. And once I got done with the book, I was like, I thought we were 5% the same and 95% different. Come to find out after reading his <laughs> uh, autobiography, we're 95% the same, 5% the different. And the reason is, is because our love for God is the overarching thing. Just because he, and some people, when they hear an open-air preacher, they go, ah, I don't think that's the right way of doing it. Guess what? God uses those individuals to save some. There are other individuals that are like myself. I love the one-on-one conversation. I love getting down and talking and finding out what it is that is keeping them from knowing and trust, putting their trust in Jesus Christ. That's how I enjoy it. I tried to open air preach. <laughs> I think that I'm subpar, but I can do it. It's just that God has, gives us each different ways of doing it. And so we've got to recognize those differences, getting back to your point, and embrace them just as much as the similarities. Just as much, all right? So the final one, the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right. So what are the implications with this? And the, the elders warned me not to overstate this, all right? But let me point out something. If you actually look at the Greek word for brothers and sisters, and in other translations, it's brethren, the word, the Greek word there is doulos. And what doulos actually means here is that other believers, individuals who are believers, all right? Now, what does that mean? Well, when we do these things for other believers, it is as if we are doing it for Jesus Christ. So we, as believers should be doing these types of things. That's why when one of the purposes of the D group should be that when a brother or sister that's a part of the D group is having difficulties and they can't cook, they can't, individuals who have babies and they need meals, individuals who are hospitalized and they need meals, those types of things is what is being talked about. Now, does this mean that we should have the view of I think that one of the things that we see is we hear about, like the, with the social justice, that they talk about, you know, doing these things. There, there's these individuals within the uh, Christianity that are saying that we need to go out and do these things for everyone. What, what I think that one of the problems that we have is certain individuals, they want to do these things, but they fail to do what is the most important thing, and that's to give them the gospel. All right? What we want is we want our body of believers here at First Baptist Church of the Lakes to be faithful in going out sharing the gospel. But we also can be faithful in attracting individuals to come here. Now, how would we do that? Well, 
if an individual who is an unbeliever has about as much desire to come to a church as a criminal has the desire of going to a police station. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. But if you give the individual enough motivation, they will come. All right? I remember in the 1990s, there was a police station, I believe, up in Michigan that had a little issue. They, they were doing cash for guns. And individuals were bringing in their guns and getting, I think it was like $250. And, but <laughs> what they weren't telling the individuals who were bringing the guns is that once they would sign in, they would check. And if they had a warrant, they would arrest them. They were actually using it to find out which individuals were criminals. And that's what the courts ended up deciding was, okay, that's not the good way of doing it. But we, as the church, if we are doing things that meet the needs of individuals and then giving them the gospel, it's not a bait and switch. We're still concerned about their physical needs, but we are caring about their spiritual needs, their eternal need. And so one of the things that I know that for myself, as I've been praying for, through this past year, the Lord keeps on sort of just seeing how we as a church can do some great things for the community to draw them here. Um, you know, it was in 2013, I got a call from um, the individuals at my, the church that I grew up in, Trinity Church in Morton, Illinois. And they said, hey, we're having our fifth anniversary um, banquet. Would you come and be the keynote speaker and just speak to us about sharing the gospel. And what they had done is they had created what is called the community harvest. Harvest, yeah, community harvest. And it started in March of 2008. And that first Sunday that they, or Saturday that they started, they gave food to three families. Um, currently, right now, on the average, they are providing in one month's time food to 1,000 households, which is 3,381 people, which 1,300 of those are children. They actually had to build a 10,000 square foot freezer to store all the stuff that they collect, that they go through. My dad, every Wednesday and Thursday, he drives to probably about 150 miles and picks up food from the Walmart neighborhoods, from all these different Kroger's and all these different grocery stores that say, hey, we're willing to give you this food. We can't keep it out on the shelves any longer without it, you know, the risk of it going bad. We want someone to be able to use it. And so they ended up asking me to come. And what ended up happening was I spoke, and the next day I went there. And I shared the gospel with a number of people, to a number of people, but I also went to all of the people that were working there, just finding out a little bit. And what I found out 
is out of the probably two dozen individuals, six of them, six of those individuals, when I asked them, hey, how did you start coming here to church? Because they have, the members of the church are actually the workers. And they said, you know what, in all honesty, I came here because of community harvest. I was an unbeliever and they were providing food. I came for the food and they started talking to me. Next thing I know, I felt convicted to go to church. And then going to church, I became a believer. When we have services, when we provide for those like the Good Samaritan, when we care about those who are out in those homes around here, the world will see and recognize that there's something different. But also, it will open up a door because they will be around us a lot more than we would be around them if we tried to go out to them. If we draw them here, how much smarter is that? Well, they say don't work harder, just work smarter. That's working smarter. Doing something here. And so some of the ideas that we have, or I guess more that I have, no, no, the Biblical Counseling Center. I know that the pastors desperately want this. The first one, bread of life and a bowl of soup, <laughs> I think would be a great name for uh, a soup kitchen. Something that we could do a couple times a week. But it would be something that would be not only for our seniors within the church. Because what happens is we have some seniors in this church that they don't have anyone to talk to throughout the week, that one-on-one, face-to-face communication. If we had something where we're producing some wonderful bread and different soups or different types of meals, they can come in and be fed and then have that interaction. And we could do it also for the homeless. I will tell you, there was a time when I first got here to Las Vegas. I was encouraged by a homeless guy to come down and visit one of the homeless shelters. And I did. I didn't shave for about a week and a half. I went for a seven-mile run and did not shower. Um, Took my clothes out, got them all scuffed up, made some holes, and went down there and was absolutely shocked at what I saw. But probably one of the worst parts was when I went to lunch at one of them, I noticed that everyone would just break apart their bread and look at it. And I was like, oh, why is everyone doing that? And my buddy said, well, here, break yours apart. And I broke it apart. There were like three or four maggots in it. This was bread that had come from the casinos, from the buffets that had been sitting on the counter and become run. And this is what they were giving them. We could do so much better. We could love these people. And granted, I know that some of these people are difficult to love. But this is where we put our faith into action. So if you are interested in doing this or the Biblical Counseling Center, 
Plesion Senior Group Home. These are all different ideas on how we can not just do church, but actually act out the second part of the greatest commandment, to love our neighbor. Plesion, that's Greek for neighbor. I would love a group home where you walk in and it sees. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And people know we are here to serve you. We love you. And we want to see your last days to be as glorious as possible. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for this message. Thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I just pray that that we as a church can be faithful and that we can find what your will is in doing these things. Lord, this is not, I don't want my ideas. I don't want others. I want your will to be done. Help us to find and to see how it is that we can reach out, not only to meet the physical needs, but more importantly, to meet the spiritual needs. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear. And help us. Help us to have the love that the Samaritan had. That we can be that way to our neighbors. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.